We recently sat down with Philly resident and New York Times number one best-selling author Jennifer Weiner. Jen met with us at the Hungry Pigeon restaurant in Queen Village to talk about writing, women in writing, social media, journalism, her decision to believe in herself that could have cost her her career, douche ads, and a great Philly Blunt round. This interview was so good we decided to break it up into two parts. I mean, she's only sold 13 million books. Reef was still finishing up his uh, European tour and couldn't be here with us, so Danya Hedinger of Billy Penn and previous Philly Blunt guests was gracious enough to sit in and help us out with this one. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so others can find it. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all as the Philly Blunt. Please enjoy part two of the Philly Blunt with Jennifer Weiner. So you had banged the drum pretty loudly on Twitter about uh, <laughs> males getting more reviews and their no. books getting male no. authors getting more reviews, mm-hmm. and then it was was it Slate that picked up the story? Uh, my point of, exactly. A so, lot of people. Well, someone ran the story where they actually counted and did statistics. Oh yes, right, right, right. Okay, yes. So, so was first like it a, was Slate that, that counted it up and found that yes, indeed, you know, men had the edge, and then this organization called Vida, um, Vida, started counting the New York Times. Um, the New York Review of Books, Harper's, The Atlantic, um, Paris Review, Literary Quarterlies, big mainstream publications, and found, like, in every case, you know, sometimes it was just by a little bit, sometimes, uh, I'll never forget the first year they counted, The New Republic had reviewed 17 books by men and one book by a woman. So, you know, we were making a lot of noise about it, like, Jody Picot was talking about it, and I was talking about it, and people are like, oh, shut up, you're just jealous, your books suck, you know, no one's reviewing you because your book's not worth reviewing. And then when people started counting, it's like, oh, shit, there's really, there's something real here. So, yeah, but it was Slate first, so right? Do you, do you just smoke a big cigar, put your feet up, feel vindicated by pretty, all this? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like the first time the Vita count came out, I was just like, it was everything I could do not to just tweet like, I told you so. Right, right. Because we knew. I mean, like any woman in publishing had picked up on it. Like, you know, and... And obviously, I started paying closer attention when it was my books getting ignored. But I, it, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I hadn't seen before. Like men write domestic fiction, and it's called, you know, the great American novel. And women write domestic fiction, and it's called a beach book. Wow. Yeah. That's where I went wrong. I sent query letters saying my book was a perfect beach book. Uh huh. Like, this is a dude author now. Well, I, beach books make money. Like, that's the right. thing. Like, beach books make, like, literature possible. I mean, like, everybody that complained about, like, Fifty Shades of Grey and, you know, mommy porn and all that, like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey probably made the publication of, like, a hundred literary novels that weren't going to make any money possible. So, like, you know, they should have been, they should have been on their knees thanking E.L. James and they were not but how do you classify your books you know I I long for the day when they're just going to be novels like that would be that would make me so happy I mean I've made my peace with you know beach books women's fiction you know I, I, I'll never forget like I gave my mother good in bed and she reads it and she's like that was really good she's like it was a page turner and I'm like a page turner <laughs> I'm like fuck you Fran <laughs> 
I'm like, did you not know the metaphors and the, the language and the imagery and the symbolism? And she's like, it's a page turner. I'm like, okay, page turner, page turner it is. But there's nothing wrong with page turners. And that was like, I had to get over myself a little bit, honestly. Sure, that's the difference between a writer and a reader, right? Mm-hmm. That is the, the, the things that you're looking at as being most important aren't what the person actually Absolutely. picking the book up. Absolutely. Like, they just want to know what happens. Like, they, right. they want characters that they like or connect with or are interested in, and they want to know what happens to them. So, so you had said, I, I read um, The Hungry Heart, mm-hmm. so you had said in there um, something that you're like a fiction writer, mm-hmm. and you're not going to win book prizes or be in a ninth grade reading list, uh-huh. and if you ever forgot where you are on the literary food chain, mm-hmm. the internet's right there to remind you. Why do you think it's so polarizing <laughs> that they just want to jump and remind you about that? Well, I... I... I think that change is, progress is slow. And I think that if you're the person out there pointing out something that is wrong and needs to change, I think the instinct is to just go after you personally and, and not, you know, not so much address the issue when it's easier just to like shut down an individual. Um, but it's like, honestly, like, I think the older I've gotten, the less I care. Like, I cared a lot when my book, like, my first book came out and my second book came out, and I was like, you know, these are really good, and I, I want people to take them seriously, and I, I can't believe that I'm in the fucking New York Times Beach Book Roundup. Like, you know, <laughs> what the fuck, Janet Maslin? But, you know, at this point, I'm just like, if readers find them, and if these books are of value to readers, whether they're entertaining, them or comforting them or making them feel less alone in the world or more seen, more visible, like whatever it is they're doing for people, like I as an author, like I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be read. So you got a new book coming out. New book coming in, out in June. June 11th, yeah. And is, is this a little bit more, I don't know if epic's the right word, but it, it, it seems a little bit larger in scale. Yeah, I mean, it runs over like yeah. almost 70 years 70 of time. 70 years. It's, it's big. Like this is my big like you know some one of one of the people who wrote about it said like you know Jennifer Weiner's books are always entertaining but this is like her legacy novel and like I, I hope that's true I mean I always wanted to do something that had that scope and had that span and talked about history and covered a whole life and not just you know 10 years or 20 years or one year or a weekend or whatever like it's a whole like you know birth to death and beyond so yeah I mean I think that you know I, I sort of swung for the fences on this one. So do you, when you talk about legacy novel, do you, you you've written this thing, it's it's done, it's going to be, um, it's going to be... It's massive. Yeah. yeah I got gonna, a copy of it. It's yeah, massive. It's, yeah, it's, it's coming out it's big. Uh, next month. Are, do you judge the final product off of, you read this, you wrote it, and you're like, I nailed it. Or do you say, okay, June 11th, I'll find out. Well, honestly... That's a really good question. I I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, with every book I write, like my friend Curtis Sittenfeld, she says this thing about like, you can publish a book that has mistakes. Like every book has mistakes. No book is perfect. No book is, you know, flawless or seamless. But you can't publish a book that has mistakes that you could fix, right? Like, you can't just be like, well, I know that character arc isn't quite right, but fuck it, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired or whatever. Like, you have to make it the best that you can make it before you send it out into the world. And I've, I've 
been pretty confident with every book that I've written that it's been the best that I could make it. And with this one, it's like I I, I worked really, really hard on it. And I, I, I had an editor quit on me in the middle of it, which was difficult, and sort of had to pick up with somebody else and lots of rewriting and lots of rethinking and like hundreds of pages that just got cut or, you know, it's like this is a really good scene, but it's it's doing something that another scene does already, so I guess we don't need it. Like lots of hard choices like that. So with this one I think I think I had some sense of like this is this is big and people at least are gonna say that about it. Like it's big and it's ambitious. And, so, and now you just wait to hear. And well, I mean, at this at, at this point, like you know, like you, Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and Library Journal and Booklist and the independent bookstores, like they've all kind of weighed in. Like they get the early copy, so you get some early indication. But yeah, I mean, at this point, you're waiting for readers, you're waiting for critics, and you're waiting for readers, and they'll they are not shy. Like they'll <laughs> they'll tell you they that, know where you live. Is that interminable? <laughs> are you like, oh my god, June 11th, June 11th, June 11th, like checking the this calendar? weird time like it's this weird lull where like the book's been written it's you know it's done it's 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 being shipped to bookstores probably even as we speak like there's nothing more that I can do so I'm trying to write the next one honestly like I'm just on to the next thing or else I would be driving myself completely crazy like completely crazy so Mrs. Everything is a new book it's about two sisters yep. over like 40 50 years 70 70, 70 years. years yep uh huh so I read like the first two or three chapters it's two sisters there's Joe and Bethy. Yep. Is Joe Joe felt like from reading Hungry Heart and other things like a like a morph of you and your mom maybe? A little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. a good that's a good um, that's perceptive. I mean, you know, it definitely like my so my mother's story is she was she grew up in Detroit, Jewish family, went to the University of Michigan, um, married a guy, married a doctor, moved to the suburbs, had four kids, got divorced in the 80s, and 10 years after her divorce, fell in love with a woman which was a big shock to me and my siblings. We were like, did you know? Did, did you notice anything? Did you have any idea? And we were like, no, I didn't see it. She, she, she was like softball, but <laughs> lots of people, lots of people like softball. So um, in Good and Bad, there's a gay mom and, and that character is played like very much for laughs. Like she's there as comic relief. Like she has a softball team. It's called Nine Women Out. And, um, you know, it's like, and, and I gave it to my mom to read. And I said, like, if this is like offending you in any way just let me know and I'll change it and she's like no it's fine you know it's, it's all material but I always knew that I wanted to like come back to that idea of like somebody who was who was gay or who was bi or who was something other than 100% attracted to men and write about what that was like for all the years that that really was not an okay way to be for women and where being openly gay like put you very much on the fringes of the mainstream and what that did to you to have to sort of hide a part of who you were or not be completely authentic about it and I, I think like if if Good in Bed was the comic version of um, a, a late in life gay mother then then Mrs. Everything is sort of the, the more dramatic more real version of that story. Was it fun researching because you went back to where your grandparents I grew up? I went back to where my grandparents were from and my mom was from and I like I mean thank God everything is online these days but I, I would like read like issues of like the the Michigan Daily and the Detroit Free Press from the 60s and the 70s and I'd read like the ads and the magazines and everything but yeah I mean 
lot of a lot of research, a lot of um, heavy lifting in that department. So, are you on to the next one? Or are you? Have I'm you already- on to the next one. I am. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> well, but the thing is, like, I mean, it's either that or just like sit there and drive myself crazy. <laughs> like, really? So, yeah, I, I am. You I'm don't even on- want to know what her Twitter would be like if she wasn't <laughs> writing right? a book. It would, right. be, it would be just awful. It would not be good for anybody. So, yes, I'm. I'm working on a new book. Um, yeah, and just like working on the garden and like cooking stuff and um, planning my kids' summer, which is like this intricate like balancing act of like if this one goes to this camp and comes back this day but this one starts her other camp the next day then like how are we gonna it's it's crazy it's like right. parenting today is like no joke like ooh. so you sold over 5 million books I think it's over 13 million actually yeah, I read, wow. the, I read All the teens right. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got my information in 20 another white, white male slighting yeah. the female author. that's right there it is no, there it is it's, I'll tell you it's like 5 years on the New York Times bestseller list and 13 million books like that's anyhow that's what that's what they tell me you know obviously some of that is marketing and agents Mm -hmm. and whatever else Mm -hmm. but obviously you connect you connect with a big segment of the population oh thanks yeah Uh, well i mean obviously yeah right what 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 do you think explains that why do why do you think that is i don't know entirely. Great book covers. Well, the book covers, no, right? Like, they Barnes look, and Noble people. They look like douche ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every single one of them. No, I, I, okay. <laughs> secret. Yes. I, I, I there think, it is, the writer's secret. Right. I, I think, I mean, I think that there's an authenticity that people connect to where, like, when I wrote Good in Bed, I was, I didn't have an agent, obviously. We talked about that. I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have a book deal. I didn't have people waiting to see what I was going to write. And it just was it it started as like I'm going to tell myself a story I'm going to tell myself a story about this girl and about this guy and about this breakup and about how she gets over it and gets her happy ending and I just wrote it for myself and I think I've read enough books to kind of you know I know what I like as a reader I think I know maybe what other people like as a reader but you know I, I think like just telling a story for myself if there's a secret to my success I would say maybe that's what it is it's just like I'm just going to tell a story and I will you know uh, of course I care about language and of course I care about imagery and I, I care about symbolism and I care about themes but mostly it's like you know, I, I got one review like really early in my career uh, where they said, you know, Jennifer Weiner is a marvelously natural storyteller. And I think that's what it is. Like, I'm the oldest of four kids. And if if you wanted anyone to pay any attention to you at the dinner table, like you had to have a story. So I think all of us learned to be storytellers. And, you know, one of my brothers is a film producer in Hollywood. One of them's an entertainment lawyer. So, you know, and my sister does some acting. So I think we all learn to like tell stories in different ways and I I think that that's what it is I think I just I tell stories about what it's like to be a woman in the world and people seem to like that well, you resonated with a Judy, Judy Bloom quote about um, she said she wasn't a great writer, but a great storyteller. Yeah. And then what I like about your work is it's conversational. Yep. So for me, my writing, I feel like that way, but it, the book for me, 
that made it so it wasn't flowery language and stuff was like mm-hmm. the beat anything by the beat writers yep. but uh, William S. Burroughs Junkie is there yeah. a book for you that clicked it and were like oh I can write I can write like you this you know it was Nora Ephron Nora Ephron's book um, Crazy Salad like before Nora Ephron was a screenwriter she was a columnist for like she wrote for New York Magazine she wrote for GQ and she wrote about like what it was like growing up being flat chested or uh, what it was like going to the Pillsbury Bake Off in the 1970s or she wrote about douches actually she wrote this whole like investigation of like whose job is it to like smell women <laughs> I'm not even kidding like this is this was a job like somebody had to like do the sniff tests and she wrote about that and it was like you said it was super conversational it was super like you know just written in in very in a very funny wry arch way but but also in just like you know you felt like you were sitting at brunch listening to a friend tell you like you are not even gonna believe the story that I have to tell you about douches and how they work and like or whatever it was so Nora Ephron and Fran Leibowitz too Fran Leibowitz who is hilarious um, and I you know I, I think often of her lists that she made of like people who should not exist and one of them was you are a poet and you are not dead and I was like, yep, nailed it. Nailed it, Fran. So <laughs> you, you've had some, you know, you've had some pretty dramatic life experiences, whether it's you got married, you got a divorce, mm-hmm. you got remarried, yep. you had a couple kids, uh-huh. you had a really troubled relationship with your dad. Yep. You've had all these things happen. As these things are happening, mm-hmm. are you are you thinking about them? Partly as a writer and partly as the person living the, the thing? Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, I think that there's like, while it's happening, I'm just living, right? Like, I'm just in the moment of like, holy shit. But like, there, I think there always is a part of me that's like, I'm going to tell a story about this someday. And maybe I'm going to tell it in a book. Maybe I'm just going to tell it to my husband or I'm going to tell it to my kids someday. But like, you know... There's a, a poem that I always think about by this, the poet's name is Sharon Olds, and she writes about, it's a poem about her parents, and she knows they're going to get married, and she knows they're going to, like, abuse her, basically. They're going to be abusive parents, and she writes about seeing them in college, and how they're so young and beautiful, and she has this idea that she's going to, like, pick them up like they're dolls, and just, like, tear them apart from each other, and say, like, don't do it. You are going to hurt each other in ways you can't can't imagine and you are going to hurt children and then she thinks to herself that you know if she does that she's not going to exist and so she thinks like okay you go and you do what you're going to do and I'm going to tell about it and that's how I feel it's like life is going to do what it's going to do to me and, and to all of us but I am going to be able hopefully at some point to tell a story about it and to turn it into some kind of art and is, is that therapy for you? It is, yeah. I mean, I you know, I obviously have a great deal of real therapy going on. But yeah, I mean, I think there is something really therapeutic of like thinking like, you know, it's not just this awful, awful thing that's happening to me. Like, I'm going to be able to tell this. I'm going to be able to tell this story. And maybe that story is going to comfort someone else or make somebody else feel less alone in their lives. I mean, like... I I wrote about having a miscarriage and like many women have had miscarriages and many women at this point have written about their miscarriages but I think that like there's something about those stories that like people did not used to tell them like they would whisper about them you know like my mother's generation like it just wasn't a 
topic. And now I think like in telling about it and, you know, in, in all of the horror and in all of the like hilarity of like, you know, the, the part that I write about is like this, this is happening to me. And my doctor has said like, we need to see, you know, the, the contents of your uterus. Right. So like this, this is happening and I'm like losing this pregnancy and I'm yelling at my husband, like, okay, you have to bring me some Tupperware. And he like sticks something through the bathroom door. And I'm like, well, not the good stuff. Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't waste that, you know? But, uh, you know, I think that there is, like, there's, you know, life is, is funny and horrible and brutal and gorgeous, and you you use it all as a writer. Like, you use every part of it, and you tell a story, and I think that's how I go on, and I think that's how a lot of people go on. So can I ask you about, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is a fake name, but mm-hmm. Christy Kellerman? <laughs> Who was always the girl around to mock you or if anything went wrong with you, like a wedgie just to embarrass you and call attention to it? Have you ever tracked her down on Facebook or interacted um, with her at all? 100%. I have tracked her down on Facebook. She sells Rodan and Field skincare products. Uh, many women seem to do that. I don't know what give, that give, is. Give us a little bit more background on this here. <laughs> no, I mean, she was just like the mean girl. The mean okay. girl all the way through elementary school, yeah. junior high, and high school. No, I, had my, I had bullies in, in high yeah. school. I know I... Yeah, I, I still know what they're up to. Of course uh, yeah. you do. I mean, I I know exactly. You know, but you're more famous than she is. Oh uh, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you Let's know, just make that clear. I I wish. I mean, like you know, I think like you know, when I was in my twenties, I would have these fantasies of like you know, I'd be on my way to my book launch and I'd like be sweeping down the street of New York and I'd see her and she'd be like a bag lady. <laughs> and, and she's not a bag lady, but you know, she sells cosmetics on the internet and what I feel very strongly is a pyramid scheme so <laughs> there it is hashtag winning <laughs> but is that is that what you hope for like having a name for yourself like making a name for yourself is that something that's been a goal for you from the start yeah I mean all I wanted was to make a living as a writer. Like, that was my dream. And whether I was a newspaper reporter or a novelist or a columnist, like, seeing seeing my name on a book in a bookstore, seeing my byline in a newspaper, on a stand, or in a magazine, that was what I wanted to do. Like, that was always what I wanted to do. And it was always the only thing I was good at. It was always the only thing I wanted. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is, this is it. And, like, being a bestseller, like I mean that's wonderful but it, it's it almost feels like icing on the cake like and the cake is people read my stories and that makes me very happy I was talking with a guy who is a progressive uh-huh. well-read fella at the uh-huh. bar uh-huh. and I was saying who we were interviewing mm-hmm. and then we talked about how we're kind of part of the problem we don't read enough female written novels from a female perspective and we were trying to figure out why that is mm-hmm. and he's he said after a few beers, mm-hmm. you know, they just tell you so much about what they're thinking. And eventually I'm like, I don't give a fuck what they're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is, that, is, that is an honest dude. Well, a, a few beers in. A few beers in. But I mean, do, isn't that what happens in books by men? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like John Irving or Jonathan Franzen or Jonathan Safran Foer. Do you read anyone other not Jonathan? Any, any, any of the Jonathans. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Like, there's there's a genre of books that's much more, like, action-oriented. And I think, like, if you're reading, like, Stephen King, like, you know, there's going to be a monster that's going to come up from the sewer. 
and tear your face off. And, you know, there's there's thrillers, there's mysteries, there's um, fantasy, there's science fiction. But, like, even Game of Thrones, right? Like, even those books, like, you hear a lot about what people are thinking. I mean, I think that there's a balance, like, in those books where it's, you know, there's a balance between the action and moving the plot forward versus, you know, what Daenerys is thinking about, like, why she doesn't want to get with Jorah, even though he really loves her because she's just not attracted to him the way she's attracted to Dario Naharis. But, you know, I, I guess that's interesting. I mean, because I, I think about, like, the books that sort of cross over and the books that men seem to read in addition to women. And it seems like there's lots of what people are thinking in those books, too. But maybe I'm wrong. I will have to give that some consideration. I, I, think, I think people's default is mm-hmm. reading what is comfortable to them. And I think that for, you know, for example, white males, it's comfortable to read what a white male is writing because right. that's probably closer to Eric's experience than what a female's writing or yep. what a person of color's writing. Right. And I, I mean, I can tell you, like, in my own reading, like, I've really had to push myself. Like, I read men and I read women, but I wasn't reading a lot of, like, people of color or, or books in translation. So I really had to make an effort to, like, diversify because I want to know what other how other people are seeing the world. And I think that that's a gift that novels give us is like, you know, what the world looks like through eyes other than my own. That's the best thing about books. Yeah. You you get to create your own reality in this other person's Mm -hmm. viewpoint. Yep, I agree. I agree. Yeah, let's take it there. Uh, you want a drink for the bloody, this, all right? No, I'm terrific. This is right. fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, we got No, this is the Philly no, blood no, no. round. Oh, no. Oh, we're not done. We're going to do rapid more. fire. Oh, yeah. Rapid fire. Now, now, this is the hard part. That was, yeah, yeah. You, that was you, This is just a warm up. Yeah, you just went, went through the minor leagues. Now you're in the majors, all right? <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. If you had your own talk show, who would your first guest be? My mom, Fran. I got a lot of questions for Fran. <laughs> the worst job you ever had. I worked at a gas station pumping gas when I was a teenager. It was horrible. Were you in Jersey? No, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I knew you were from. I thought only Jersey and Oregon had. No. Uh, how long? How long did you last? It was a summer job, so I, I worked there all summer. But I, you know, it was mostly the cash register. But you know, occasionally I would I would fill up a tank. I would do that. If you weren't a writer, what profession would you most want to do? Wow. I'd probably be a lawyer because that's where most people who write but can't commit to a life of writing, that's where they seem to land. So I'd probably be a lawyer. Go to law school. Do you have anything on Danya? <laughs> now you no put, no now pressure. You, yeah, you don't have on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Don, I wish yeah. she's a reporter. She's yeah. always got questions. <laughs> that's true, but I was not ready. So give me a second. Okay. Um, why do people spit on the sidewalks? <laughs> It is the most disgusting thing, and I don't know. Like, why? Why do you do that? I have women do not do that, and I do. I've never asked a guy like, "Why are you doing that?" It's it's horrible. I don't know why. It's my pet peeve. Why do you live in Philadelphia? 
um, I got a job at the Inquirer, and then I got married, and then I have kids, and now I'm like stuck. I've like, I've like, <laughs> yeah, put, there's no I've, escape. I've put, I've, put, I've put roots down, and and you know my kids really like it here. And Favorite I li- thing? I really like it. They, here. They, they 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 built the walls around the city, exactly. and now you can't get it's, out. Well, yeah. they're, they're always doing construction on I-95, so I couldn't. Yeah, go. where are you gonna? Well, go? let's say best thing and worst thing about Philly. About Philadelphia, best thing is the food and the culture. Um, and the worst thing is all the guys spitting on the sidewalks. <laughs> Agreed. That's disgusting. My dog's walking in. It's right? Just a it's nightmare. horrible. Oh, Poor- my shoe. I track it into my house. Poor Moochie. What's something you're bad at that you wish you were good at? Um, singing. I'm not a great singer. Like, I have like a three note range, and I really wish I was better, but it's sort of something you either can do it or you can't, and I can't. So, I got to follow up. My next question was Would you rather be a best selling author or a best selling singer? Wow. Uh, probably author because you don't have to get dressed up to do it. You can do it in your pajamas. Yeah. What's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? I went ziplining in Mexico at this really like dicey operation where I really do not think there was any kind of like safety checks. No, no. <laughs> I could have died. Have you ever been fired from a job? No, I have not been fired from a job. I have not. No. Are you disappointed in that a little bit? A little bit, yes, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be a good story? Right? No, like, it's a, yeah, no. I've not been fired from a job. I've, I've left them all. <laughs> what is a show or movie that people would be surprised that you like? That is, okay, let's see. Show or movie. I watch Barry. I don't know how surprising that is. Oh, Barry's pretty good. Barry's terrific. I really like that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I loved Game of Thrones. I read all the books. I loved the shows. I thought it was great. No Big Brother? No, not anymore. I mean, I watched The Bachelor for a really long time, but that wasn't surprising. But no, I mean, I I don't watch a lot of trash TV. My my brother, the entertainment lawyer, represents like every single person on Vanderpump Rules, but I haven't like, and I should. I don't even know what that is. Oh God! Do you line dance at weddings, and if so, what song? Um, yes, and the wobble. Yes. (laughs) The childhood dream that you've given up on, Um, being a singer. Right? It's everyone's dream, isn't it? Like, everybody, like, sings into the curling iron and pretends it's a microphone. I caught my daughter doing it the other night. <laughs> if you could travel anywhere in the world that you've never been, where would that be? Wow. I think I would go... Um, where would I go? I'd go to Australia. My husband's has been, and he talks about it all the time, and how beautiful it is, and how friendly everybody is, and the beaches are so amazing, So, but I just don't want to be on a plane for 20 hours or whatever it is, so I would, I would go there. Do you have a um, having a bad day comfort movie that you can put on? Probably Love Actually. I really like that one. I know it's very divisive. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I love it. Uh, place that you've been that you most enjoyed traveling to? Venice. Venice, Italy. It's so beautiful. Like Everything you see is just so beautiful. And I, I loved being there. Do you... Uh do you have a walk-up song? If you were a professional baseball player and you came up, what song would they play? <laughs> um, wow, the bitch is back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch is back. Uh, Philly Lifer? Yes. 
hundred percent. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm gonna die in Queen Village, man. Is <laughs> it all in? So uh, I always track out who you follow on Twitter uh-huh. with our guests. So uh-huh. you follow the Hooters. I do. What's your favorite Hooter song? Um, Carla with a K. Wow. Yeah. That's oh, deep. Deep, deep cut. cut. Go with the deep, yeah. deep cut. Yes. Carla with a K is a great I like song. It. Mm-hmm. So we give a shout out to Hungry Pigeon and ask yep. her why she chose Hungry yeah, Pigeon. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's like two minutes from my house and the hash browns are unbelievable. Yeah, so thanks for Hungry, Hungry Pigeon for hosting us. Here. Hungry Pigeon, good stuff. Yeah, Stop big time. by. These guys, these guys won Check best them out. restaurant in Philly. I don't think they even need need well, the blunt to give well, them a recommendation. Yeah, yeah. They were very, they were very anxious right once they heard who the guest was. <laughs> <laughs> this is not just a New York Times bestseller. It's a New York Times number one bestseller. <laughs> well, more to the point, you know, I would say probably friend, friend of, of Craig LeBan. <laughs> I think that's what really matters. LeBan loves this place. Yeah, yeah. no, it's great. You know, once he did the blunt, every restaurant's really eager to have us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they think we got him. He's in our Rolodex now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for yeah. being on the Pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. These were like the best for questions ever. Us. And thank, thank you, Danya, for being yes. a part of the show yeah, tonight. Yeah, Danya. Thank you for Such an honor. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, take it light, and we'll, uh, we'll see you again soon. Later. Later. Awesome. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Yo, yo. Welcome to the home of brotherly love. Brothers covered in blood. The man's office is covered in bugs. The youth dreams cut short. Sweat.